Welcome to another episode of Consider This. This is Ryan Vincent. I have with me today two new people in the studio. I have Natalie Ambrose and Katie Smith, some of our creative, most creative members here at Sunnybrook. And they are here to share with us why the arts matter and how we got from a blown out knee and a G-unit chain to Christmas Eve this year. Okay, Natalie and Katie, some of our creative people here at Sunnybrook. Creative people have uh, visual opinions, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to reflect on um, your time probably growing up, but it may have been even more recently, when you embraced a fashion trend yourself that today you would rather us never see photos of this event having happened. Can you give us an example of something like that? Were you like a Jinko's girl? So it was boots and shorts oh. with like um, ruffles and lace. Oh, wow. Like okay, just so like an edgy it. pig farmer's daughter? Definitely. And that's <laughs> pretty accurate. <laughs> okay, Katie, anything? Or did you just crush it the whole time? Okay, my husband knows this about me, but I lived in West Virginia until I was 12, and I call it my other life because I was very different, but I had a G unit necklace. That's yes. fun. <laughs> I know. I know people are like, what? Yeah. And um, I, <laughs> so I had that and I just was like, had a spike collared necklace and the principal told me to take it off. I was doing like a punk gangster thing okay. and I kind of had a crew like that. And so I thought I took off the spikes thinking if that's the problem, then that's the problem. And at the end of the day, he was like, hey, I thought I told you to take that off. And I was like, well, I took off the spikes. And then he just didn't know what to say and I was going on the bus, so that was just kind of the day. Just, uh, I'm doing the punk gangster thing, but I can also be reasonable. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Just okay. need you to change all of what's going on here, head to toe. Yes. That was really what he was communicating. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so as artists, you also probably have strong opinions on... Um, different styles through the different eras that have uh, come and gone. If you could pick to live in any historical period and locale, where would you, I'm sure you're really happy with your lives right now, but if there was a second option, what would it be? I don't know, like, that's a tough one. Like, I, I really enjoy, like, pop, I did pop art recently with my students, and that's, like, super fun. I like the colors, um, but I don't know. Like as a woman in this context, those aren't super fun places to be in. So that's uh, what I always think of, and you know, a lot of that history is still here today. So you can always visit it. I get you. Know. So I'm, I don't know. That's like kind of a tough one. About what time period was that with the pop art it's like, movement? Uh, late fifties, mm -hmm. going to sixties, after World War Two. <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. Very cool. I don't know. Not unlike you, I really enjoy the anti-realism movements within the theater context. Mm -hmm. And so that is anything after World War One up to the Vietnam War. Things mm -hmm. were getting really weird. They were testing out ideas. And so there was like a fracture ton, like just split of tons of movements mm -hmm. just because they were testing out all of the ideas. So it became um, a bit of a stew of possibility mm -hmm. and um, the things that tracked through we see in postmodernism now. But one of my favorite movements was called Dadaism. 
and mm-hmm. it really didn't pick up much because it was so strange, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, and that was probably around the 1930s, 1940s, um, just because people were not sure what was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, mine would be like some of the period where like German and French Baroque architecture was going on. I just, mm-hmm. I love the, almost the opposite of modernism. Like the, the how decadent can we make this yeah. building? Mm-hmm. Let's just add little things here and, and a little ruffle there. A ruffle made out of stone. Yeah, how about 2,000 ruffles? <laughs> we call um, that spectacle for the sake of spectacle. I love it, I love it so much. Okay, well we have you guys here to talk today about um, a couple of things, but primarily um, arts in in like a religious context, particularly a Christian context, of course. And we're and what's kind of occasioned that is our plans for Christmas this year, particularly Christmas Eve and the production that we're putting on. So before we move into some of your thoughts in those domains, Natalie, I'll start with you. Why don't you give us a rundown of kind of your um, relationship to the arts, both maybe growing up and the interest that you began to take in it, and then education, career path, and how all that's unfolded. Yeah. So I got into the arts by God's wiring, so it kind of came naturally. But in terms of really focusing my efforts, it came because I grew up in a small town, and if you were anything, you played basketball. And so I was starting uh, as a point guard on the basketball team, and I blew out my knee. And so at that time, in the mid-90s, you were pretty much done. I'm (laughs) 5'4 and a white girl, so I wasn't going to get a scholarship to college anyway (laughs) on that train. So um, I got into theater, and really loved it. I found all of the wirings that God had given me sort of started to come together in one place to be able to take on the story and communicate in that way. And so I went ahead and did an undergraduate degree as a Bachelor of Arts in theater communications, and then I did a master's degree in directing. So I get to use those um, gifts and skills by training in lots of different ways. I'm really thankful for that. Hmm. So you grew up in like an agricultural world, right? I did, yes. What were your parents' original thoughts about you going to art school? In a word, concerned. (laughs) Seems very impractical to them, huh? Yes. You show them now. But I think they kind of, they get it. I'm also the middle child of three girls, so middle kid syndrome totally plays out in that. I got you. Katie, what about you? Um, I grew up definitely, it being natural, like something I did all the time. Like I remember going, taking scrap pieces of paper to restaurants and drawing. And looking at that now, and that's when I was really little, looking at that now, I would think, I would love to have a kid like that that would just sit quietly and draw things around them. Like I, I was kind of the favorite because I was very like even temperament because of that. But um, so I had like sketchbooks and then it was something very natural to me. And I, although it was natural, I really didn't like it. I didn't like that was my gift. I'd rather have be something that was like smarter. I didn't think it was very smart. Um, but anyways, um, so it was always there. I did it like middle school and high school, and then I went to college and. I really like the way the earth's made and like all that. Like I just love how God like creates such a harmony and how everything's made. And so I wanted to be a volcanologist, which is a study of volcanoes. We had to be a geologist. So I was going to college to be a geologist and um, that wasn't doing so good. I was just very mediocre, but it was freshman year. And so I think that's just kind of a part of it. And I was like, you know what? I need to change gears and do something I'm good at. I'll go back to art. And so I did art and Um, Growing up, we went on a lot of trips around like Southwest and stuff where we um, just collected like a lot of rocks. We had books where we could find like garnets or pan for diamonds and agate here and whatever. 
And so we collected that, and then I put that in. Um, I, I when I when I came to college, I switched gears to uh, fine art, and so I chose jewelry making, where I could put the rocks I found into my jewelry. So I'm actually wearing a piece that I did that with. So it's jasper and petrified wood. That's beautiful. That's pretty fun. That is cool. Yeah. So it kind of it comes full full circle. So I, that's how I just kind of think about it. like God just. I, I wouldn't knock whatever would, that would happen. I'm like, okay, like um, it's leading me on my journey somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, I uh, was an art guard at, in, at OSU Museum and I didn't enjoy just guarding art. And <laughs> there wasn't much more to do <laughs> to move up that was just like more administrative. And so then I was like, well, I'll be an apprentice at a jewelry store and learn how to do, do jewelry. Mm. And so there I, um, I did more fashion and bridal design. And then I did more of like watch adjustments like engraving whatever they needed around so that's just nice working at a smaller place that's cool so yeah. do you still do jewelry because you you don't work at the jewelry store any longer do you i don't so do you still make jewelry on the side and i know that you're you've also this year taken on teaching elementary uh, art yes. <laughs> tell us kind of how that's been going and and yeah okay yeah um so I um I do some stuff at the at the house, so I don't have like um, a torch or anything, so I can't do anything to weld. But I like I can fix people's chains, I can string pearls, I drill pearls. I've done that recently for some artists that brought pearls from overseas. And um, what else? I, I some people still call me up to like get a design made. I kind of con- I kind of call myself like a consultation designer, and then I know who to send that design to to get it designed. So like I know people kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I forgot your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> How's it been going teaching, uh, for example, my kids? My my daughter came home um, uh, for, uh, uh, from school around Halloween, and she her Halloween costume this year was a fox. And she mm-hmm. came home with, like, a fox face painted on her. And, and I thought, where did that come from? And she... <laughs> She said it's for Halloween. So like she thought she was in trouble. I'm like, no, it's it's good. Usually face paint is terrible, but like that's really good. And she says, oh, Miss uh, Miss Smith did it. She is amazing at drawing <laughs> on your face. That's so kind. Yeah, no, they make me feel really good. <laughs> they're always talking me up. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's it, awesome. Well, I know they're good. glad to have you there. Oh, good. Um, okay, so let's connect the this domain to the church context. Mm-hmm. So here, you know, if you could, um, if you could single out one of the big things that we do here at the church, it's communicate. So whether that's communicating from a stage via sermon or um, Steve's recording a podcast and Amanda is documenting it, we, we do a lot of communication. In a sense, a lot of the arts are intended to communicate. There's a lot of other things that they're trying to do, but communication is a big, big part of it. What is it that you guys feel that um, the visual arts, the performative arts, all the arts can bring to the mission of the church that maybe um, Jim Johnson standing up there with a 35-minute speech can't necessarily accomplish, right? What, what are some of your thoughts on the value of art in church? So I feel like that this is the most helpful in an immersive way. Um, when we're children, where our parents read to us and by design our imaginations dive into the story without like we are unabashedly diving in and escaping into the story and that as a child is a good thing it's an important thing it's a trusting thing Um, when we grow up we tend to start to communicate in different ways and listen in different ways but I think 
that it's always still there, that childlike openness, especially to the story of God, who is our creator, who pursued us and is our savior. I think we're still open to that. Mm-hmm. And so to tell a story in a different way, whether it is a section of the Bible, whether it is an allegory where we're teaching a lesson, whether it's a cautionary tale, whether it is the full story of scripture, the meta narrative of the four movements, I do think that it's important for us to maybe sometimes dive in again mm-hmm. as we were as children and maybe listen in a different way. And those things tend to stay with us. We remember moments and then the whole story starts to flesh out when we kind of process through it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is one way where creative storytelling in lots of different ways is important for the people of God. Yeah. And also in the, like... I- I would imagine that one of the things that you're trying to do is to connect to multiple senses. And I always tell people, people want to talk about, uh, I, I just had one of our, our former residents text me. He was going to go teach at a at his youth retreat. And he said, what are some of the things that you would recommend um, high school kids do in order to develop a greater love for scripture? And I told them to listen to it while you read it. I said, the more senses you can employ, and if you can listen to it while having a, a, like a somewhat subtle musical bed behind it and follow it with your eyes. You're just employing so many senses. Um, I said, you'd be shocked at just what you begin to remember and how you engage it in a different way versus just eyes on a page. And I feel like arts really help us do that in a way where, you know, if I'm preaching a sermon, um, I have your ears. I might be, I might be dynamic and you might be following my hands, uh, you know, but um, I mostly have your ears, but if there are other ways to engage with that content or with that instruction, um, it's just more likely that it's going to take root, right? Any script, I hear it first before I ever see it. Mm-hmm. And if the script is biblical, I'll hear the rhythm of it, and it does have its own symphony, mm-hmm. and then visuals start to come out of that. So I echo what you're saying, impl- like just n- no holds barred, really. <laughs> That there is a different way and that the five senses are key ways that we're going to carry that with us forever and forever. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of why the first Bible verses kids learn, they learn in song. Yes. And then it's like they'll be 45 and they'll sing the same song that they haven't sung in 30 years. It just comes to them. Katie, what do you you think that the arts can can help us do around here? Um, So when I think of the arts, I think of how it taps into us emotionally and I think, like Natalie was saying, like when you were older, there's just more battle for our attention, a lot of more distractions. We're a little harder to, and you know, we've kind of seen it all maybe, not, not so mm-hmm. impressed. And so um, it just kind of helps draw. I, I think the arc draws our emotions to be more present, and that's what we're trying to do, like in the sanctuary. So just like the worship before the truth, like trying to draw us, our minds and our, and our hearts to be present before the Lord. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's what I think, how art communicates. Yeah, you, you mentioned, as we were kind of talking in preparation for this particular mm-hmm. podcast, you mentioned the value of, um, I don't remember if you said stained glass or if you, or if you were talking about carvings on the wall, but you, you just, even thinking about um, church traditions that more mm-hmm. emphasize the visual nature of a, of a, a, a house of worship, um, what, what value do you think that that brings to the whole experience? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that it 
it helps envelop you in the story. And I think about art when you look at it, you look at it for what it is, and then you're doing something else where you're imagining where is my place in that story, which is pretty cool. And so there's a there's like a it's more like an, an individual journey is kind of happening, mm-hmm. and it's kind of almost kind of focusing yourself in your relationship with your God with God. Um, and I, but I think what's cool is when that that story is wrapped around the whole congregation is that it's um, it's uniting everyone, mm-hmm. which is really neat too. When that story is wrapped around the whole congregation, it is uniting. What a beautiful <laughs> statement! How artistically said of you. <laughs> well done, Katie. <laughs> well, and, and you even mentioned the value of stained glass in terms of like a preliterate society, yes. and that, that mm-hmm. it tells the stories. It teaches. Um, you know, even you think about how long um, the the mass was in Latin, which wouldn't have been mm-hmm. the common language of the people, and to see a, a picture of Moses holding tablets. It mm-hmm. communicates a lot to someone who couldn't necessarily read Exodus 20, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so what I think is, is kind of interesting whenever you, whenever you consider that, that perspective, art in some sense has this reputation for being somewhat highbrow and mm-hmm. for the, the cultured elite. Uh, actually, I wonder if it's one of those things that everybody can engage with at, at varying levels, sure. I'm not saying that I, you know, I can engage in performative arts like you, Natalie, or metallurgy like you can. I can't figure that out to your degree, but I can still engage with it and appreciate it and be moved by it and be instructed by it, which would be a very mm-hmm. valuable thing in the church. And so I still remember a sermon Drew Moss preached four or five years ago where he explained the seven different symbols that are in our stained class behind the baptistry. And I still have people talking about mm-hmm. how like moving that was to them or how, um, um, I don't remember who was preaching, but they referenced that in the, in the cupola up above the sanctuary, you have the, the, um, the panels that have scripture. And they just said the, the original designers of this sanctuary wanted to have everything here happening underneath scripture. And like for a lot of people, they're like, wow, that unlocks something that you guys have been saying with your words all the time. <laughs> but all of a sudden when I see it, I, it, it resonates in a new way. And it didn't take someone with a fine arts degree to figure that out. It just took kind of the experience and the engagement and to some degree some explanation but i think it's so cool art can be highbrow but the vast majority of it is meant for the masses right mm-hmm. and so I, I i think that wow couldn't the church be just a fantastic place for that to be um emphasized and employed all the more mm-hmm. so to that end my question my next question is do you guys feel that in the church, particularly maybe the American Protestant church, there is some sort of resistance when it comes to the fine arts, um, that there, there might be some sort of hesitation. Like, could this maybe, you know, are we really wasting our time here? Couldn't we do better things with our time? Do you get that sense? And, and if you do, what do you think m- might be contributing to that? Natalie? I do feel like that we can... On the Western side of the world, we have to be a little bit careful about how we approach an artistic worship experience. I think that it's possible for us to get so immersed in us in the experience that we might miss our Creator, our Lord, um, and just what is needed in that time. And so on the Western side of the world, there is a bit of an open gate right now for arts in the worship experience or in the storytelling or in the preaching teaching experience um, and so I want to make sure that 
my brothers and sisters who are listening understand that while I am an artistically wired person, I do not feel that is the only way. And I do feel that it is helpful in certain contexts, as long as we are all headed in a, direc- a direction that we are looking for our Lord first and then ourselves second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where I do feel like an artistic channel or approach can be helpful. It is not the only way. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, on, on our side of things, um, one of the things that we've done this at the, at the end of this year is we've done some lighting upgrades in the sanctuary. And we've tried to do them in a subtle way. But um, even in some sense bracing ourselves for the question, well, like, didn't the lights, weren't the lights already up there just kind of fine? And depends on what you mean by fine. Like, it depends on what you mean by um, isn't that good enough. We could say that about virtually everything. And so one of the things that we, we saw an opportunity to do is to, to do, make some changes in the sanctuary so as to open up some um, visual opportunities that aren't spectacle for spectacle's sake, but they can be supportive whenever we're trying to do certain things. For example, one of the things that I noticed when we f- added the first few fixtures is you actually have to strain your eyes less to watch the preacher for 35, 40 minutes because we, ha- we now have the ability to separate him or her from the background. Right. Whereas beforehand, we were just overloading the stage with lights and you're following someone in this big pool of light. And it's almost like we've made, by, by being able to add contrast, so this doesn't seem super artistic, but I think it is, by adding contrast in the lighting between the background and the foreground, we actually make it a more pleasant experience, which you know, you could argue makes it easier to listen and retain and this, that, and the other, which we'll obviously use as we do more production type things. But even in something as simple as a sermon, a small artistic change can be really valuable. If I were to further advocate for that, we're using less electricity because the lamps or the bulbs inside the fixtures use less wattage and there's fewer fixtures. So we're actually spending less because we have to have less equipment up in the air. So that's just a little behind the scenes. She was listening, watching Captain Planet growing up. Um, <laughs> Katie, any, any sense you get from the, the Christian world that um, um, art would either be preferred in terms of let's, let's do more or uh, maybe let's, let's exercise a little bit of restraint. Where do you get a sense from people? Yeah, so I just think like we're kind of in a tricky place, like a lot of places on East Coast and then beyond already has like established really cool historical churches. So Mm. there is already stained glass. There's already a mural. Like there's already things that just are super cool artistic wise Mm. or even just the history. It doesn't even have to be visual, maybe just the history of who came to that church, whatever, how it got started. Usually connected to the neighborhood in many cases, whereas you could maybe pluck Sunnybrook up and move it around virtually the same exactly so and with us you know uh, or with just this area i just kind of feel like we have to kind of pick our we have to kind of pick like space money you know you know like how are we going to figure this all out we're starting from scratch kind of thing um and i don't know i'm trying to think of ways like ways that we've like i was thinking like okay is it the tabernacle where they have like candles before they go into these rooms like mm-hmm. they they're like there's like things that are setting the mood to get you in the mindset to be with the lord so i'm kind of thinking the ways that maybe we substitute that here is like we have people right at the door greeting you like a brother and sister that you're familiar with so maybe that's kind of like mm. trying to think of ways we're tr- we're kind of substituting maybe what was then yeah how we're doing it now 
um, I was thinking, because I was thinking in my head, it'd be really nice if we, which kind of goes into the other question you're saying, like our vision for Sunnybrook with the art, it would be nice to kind of have something kind of, or what, what kind of like you're saying, we're doing some things to kind of like a symbol or something to kind of put your headspace there before entering the sanctuary, I think would be really nice. But maybe it is the people at the doors, yeah. you know, um, fixing that or putting that for us. And um, so it, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to say just because of where, where we're at location wise. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we are, we occupy a part of the country that is, um, pragmatic, very pragmatic and, um, going to be fiscally conservative. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we, we need walls and we need insulation and maybe a thin coat of paint and that's good. Mm -hmm. And I'm over here saying, and probably a painting on that wall, that'd be nice. Or a a Katie Smith mural would be nice. (laughs) Um, cause you even alluded to the, the way that they would use light to, to prepare you as you move through the tabernacle, mm-hmm. the temple complex was very much the same way. If you go and read the descriptions of how this, the temple was built and what it was fashioned to look like, they're recreating the garden of Eden. They're, 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 um, it's not decoration for decoration's sake. It's, it's communicating visually and even just kind of the ambiance of the space, the smells and bells, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You are entering into the presence of God. You're entering into a rebuilt Eden, in effect. And I think that's pretty awesome. And so in some churches, you'll see um, over the the door frames heading into the worship space, you'll see a a smeared um, red paint as you're entering by the blood of the Lamb. I Mm -hmm. love that. That's simple. The uh, many Roman Catholic churches have, um, they'll have the communion altar is the focal point of the sanctuary, mm-hmm. but at the back of the room, you enter past the baptistry. So you enter the church via the waters of baptism, so, and then you, you celebrate as a church at the table um, for the Eucharist. And I just think that so much of that is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I've often found a reason to explain to classes that in, um, church, in architecture design classes where we're talking about church design, the, the kind of the rule of thumb was look down the center aisle and you'll be able to tell what is most important to that group of people. And so um, in Sunnybrook, it would be classically the communion table, the pulpit, the baptistry. They'll be lined up in the center aisle. In the Roman Catholic tradition, the, the, the baptismal font will be in the back. The altar will be in the middle and the pulpit will actually be off to the side because the sermon is not as important as celebrating the mass. And so you can you can kind of look at all of that and so i i joke that at, at sunnybrook our most important things are the communion table steve and his guitar the pulpit <laughs> and the baptistry. <laughs> steve made the cut yeah he made the cut um okay so let's let's talk for just a, a moment here we've done a lot of setup but let's talk briefly about christmas eve and there's some of this that we actually won't share there's some of this that we want you to come and experience. And if you're listening to this thinking, oh, that would be cool to go to, but I can't make it. I hope they record it. We won't. And I'm not saying that as like we we don't want to. We quite frankly can't because of some of the ways that we're, we're using the space. So we don't have a five-man camera crew, so we're not recording it. Um, but there are two opportunities to come see it, so we hope you can. What are some of the artistic methods that we are employing to engage with people with the Christmas story? In one way, we are employing an immersive storytelling experience. Um, So Katie and I have collaborated together to produce that from 
every visual and corner approach for the people who are a part of the story. So with um, Katie's project, I won't give away the gift or the present because there is a bit of a reveal that we want people to be able to experience. But with her project and her design, this has been very important to us that as soon as people come out from hearing the story, they see God's story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 visually depicted, Mm -hmm. and it requires a bit of engagement to engage with the story and take it in. Mm -hmm. So we're offering people the opportunity as soon as they come out the doors, there will be something waiting for them. Yeah. But during their time in the sanctuary, during that story process, we are using the five senses. And so that has been our approach. And to hear from the characters themselves. There's one thing to tell about. And we have narrators who tell about. They move the story along because this is truly thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so it's difficult for us as a modern audience who are used to two and a half hours at the most in a movie. And then we're done. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for us to tell that story well. And so we have narrators that move it forward. But there are times where we slow the pace. And it's very important to hear from the characters themselves and to hear what it was like for them, but also to hear their repentance journey. That's very important in this story. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I also think, um, you know, kind of being part of uh, the early process of of writing a lot of this stuff and now moving over to tech support, I think there's a lot of things where we're really showing you something. But we're also asking you to turn on. We, this requires sixty-eight percent imagination, <laughs> and we're going to give you thirty-two percent concrete visual sounds and, and this and that and the other. But we really hope you come um, not with with the intent to not just watch, but to in some sense kind of like lose yourself in it. And then um, that's really where kind of this this thing that you're hinting at, but we can't talk about that will be revealed, <laughs> is kind of that last thing that ties all the imaginative elements together. And so I really, I really look forward to it. Uh, You're Katie? Right. There is an intentionality toward not showing everything. Mm-hmm. So audience, please be ready to imagine and let yourself go with that. Please be ready because it's going to be so fun. Katie, anything you want to add? Again, your part is kind of the, the part that really is is designed as the, the denouement at the end. Oh, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we have to keep a lot of that under wraps. But even maybe describe some of the um, what you've experienced working with. You have a you have a mm-hmm. team working with you from people that are that are doing more physical um, craftsmanship things to your kind of the, the visual dreamer for all of it, and then you've got painters and and you know other craftsmen and women what's what's it been like working with that team and kind of trying to get everybody on board with your master vision for this thing well i was so surprised because you know natalie pitched this the idea to interpret our images and i was like oh i have an idea and then everyone was like we like that idea i was like okay so it was just kind of (laughs) were you surprised i was very surprised (laughs) and i was like okay you're like yeah do more and i was like okay uh, everyone's been really easy to work with. Um, uh, I think it helps from when I used to do design. I'd, I'd sit with couples and they'd tell me what they want and then I would help get with where they wanted. So I loved hearing everyone in the group, like like when we're talking about the New Testament, what to involve in our imagery, like Gentile inclusion, what, what would that look like? You know, and, and just throwing, it's just been really fun. And um, everyone's been really easy to work with. So I've just been surprised at the smoothness of it but I think it's also just how beautiful the church is like Mm. when we all get together 
Yeah, like, I, I'm right now thinking this is a natural, normal outflow of the unity of the church and all of us participating in telling the story of God. Like mm-hmm. we're not here for ourselves, so yeah. it removes us from having to have our own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay, last question, and this one can be quick. If you could say 10 years from now, so that would we be at the end of 2032, um, if we're all still here, things sure seem to be getting rough <laughs> lately. But if we, if we, if the Lord tarries and we get another 10 years, what would be for each of you one thing that you would hope that this church would have embraced and maybe um, begin to integrate and employ when it comes to the arts? My natural response to that is an unhindered joy at the beauty of the Lord, his story, and then maybe that joy produces like a humility of like, I get to be a part of it. Like really, that's my deep hope for us as the Sunnybrook body, mm-hmm. um, for the church collective as the bride of Christ. Like um, no matter what happens between now and 2032, <laughs> I think we could grow in joy. And I think that that will be the thing that will set the world on fire to see that we are different. We are other. We are holy in that way. That's awesome. I noticed you didn't say more dramatic productions because that would basically be signing yourself up for a lot of stuff. I didn't, actually. (laughs) Katie, what would you want us to be doing more of? I know. I was like, "Uh," because I'm kind of on that train of thought. Like, I feel like we're in the right place where, like, doing this big production for Christmas is such a cool idea and I love that Jim came up you know saw it in Poland and wanted to reflect that here and it it would be nice to have that you know I don't know I'm not saying Eastern (laughs) I don't know easy there for me I know I'm not saying Eastern (laughs) Natalie needs a break (laughs) mama tired (laughs) but it's, it's nice that you know, because now we're kind of we're going to be kind of setting a tone, and I wonder what that. I feel like this is going to this is just naturally going to propel whatever happens at the church in the future. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah, this really does. Um, this does demand some dexterity on our part because what what we've put together is not like a classic um, nativity pageant. So it's not like something that we could just turn the key every year. Uh-huh. Um, it's got so much um, unveiling as it goes to this final aha that to do it again would be anticlimactic. So mm-hmm. we are kind of, you know, we've we've cleared the stage now to mm-hmm. dream and, and think about other things that we could possibly do instead of just doing the same thing over and over. As a team, from the moment of conception of the idea of the project, we have pursued excellence. It's been a source of joy. It's been a source of going further and pushing, maybe sacrificing a bit to make this project happen mm-hmm. well. But pursuing excellence, I think, is imperative in telling the story of God. Yeah. I think we cannot settle for good enough. Mm-hmm. You hear that, Steve? Write it down. We got to do something again next year. Doesn't mean that we have to do it every <laughs> year, though. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming and sharing your thoughts. And um, and uh, thank you for all the work that you guys have put in. I, I trust that those of you listening, if you're able to come to um, to the performances, there's on Christmas Eve, it's 4 o'clock and 6.30. That's correct. 4 and 6.30. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have two options. If you're able to come, I truly believe you will be blessed. And, uh, and these two creative people have had a lot to do with that. So thank you. And uh, we will see you guys next time.